girlfriend and I this, this last week, we just celebrated our two-year anniversary. And um, as anyone who knows me knows, I like uh, <laughs> fantasy stuff, Lord of the Rings, I'm a big nerd, all that. And it, you know, the list goes on. But uh, as a surprise, my girlfriend got us a Airbnb and a Hobbit hole, a Hobbit house um, in Murfreesboro, Tennessee, not far from Nashville where we, where we live. And so we went and stayed there. And this Hobbit house was out in the middle of this rural farmlands. Welcome to episode two of Fermented Follies. I'm your host, Joey Stanka, and today we are here with Cole Porter. That's how close we were. We had gone into town for dinner and we're coming back to stay at our Hobbit home for our first night there. And at this point it was nine or 10 p.m., so it was dark. And we're in this rural area, so very dark, very little light pollution or anything like that. Um, and we had to drive down this highway and then a country road to sort of get to the property itself. And as we were getting there, um, very close to the driveway that led to the property, we passed these two police cruisers, police cars, that both had their, you know, the searchlights that they have on the side of their cars were scanning the fields adjacent to the road. Like they were clearly looking for something or for someone. A little out of place, um, especially so close to the Shire, which um, is, is not usual. Anyway, we... Um, we continued on uh, to the Hobbit home, and because it is a Hobbit home, it's made of dirt and it doesn't have any plumbing. Okay. And so there is a bathroom, bathhouse, kind of across the way from it, only about 50 to 100 feet away. Um, so my girlfriend Ellen, she went to go get ready for bed, brush her teeth, all that kind of stuff, and I was just kind of hanging out outside. And then I heard and noticed a very strange noise. It was a, a buzzing sound. Um, which I recognized as a drone. And so I looked up in the air, and sure enough, there was a drone <laughs> above this Hobbit house, just uh, maybe, I, I couldn't tell how high for sure, maybe 100, 150 feet in the air. Shooting the next movie. Yeah, shooting the next Lord of the Rings. <laughs> I'm pretty sure Peter Jackson was, was out. He was there. He was in the woods. Um, but we, <laughs> I was watching this drone, and I found it very odd that it was there at all, because if it was a recreational drone, there's no way you could see anything at night. Um, which is why the darkness was important. And then I, I kind of put two and two together, probably a little bit slow on the uptake on my end, but there are police cars with searchlights, and then there's a drone in the air. Something <laughs> odd is going on. So I suddenly get very nervous, and I, um, <laughs> I, I'm not a gun owner or anything, but I, I carry bear spray with, with me. <laughs> Just in, uh, case. just in case, and not like everywhere I go. I'm not a concealed carry bear spray guy, but uh, you need a permit for that. Yeah, you do. <laughs> especially yeah. And anyway, I, I took um, the bear spray from my bag and, and carried it over to the bathroom where my girlfriend was. I just checked in to make sure she had not been abducted or murdered. Or yeah, she was fine. Um, she didn't know anything weird was going on, and so I was just kind of standing out there and. I was watching this drone, and I had walked from the Hobbit house to the bathroom, and the drone had followed me oh in the air, still pretty much yeah, directly above me, um, which kind of unnerved me a little bit. Um, and I was watching this drone, and I was also looking around, trying to make sure there were no murderers or psycho clowns or whatever <laughs> else could be out in the darkness um, approaching me and, and my girlfriend. And so as I was watching this, you know, she finished up, um, what she was doing, and she stepped outside, and she noticed I looked a little um, unnerved. And <laughs> she came out, and she's like, is everything okay? And I said, well, there's this drone above me and these police cars. 
And right before she came out, I had also noticed that these police cars had actually come onto the property we were on. It's a farm, so it's a pretty sprawling area, but pretty flat, pretty open. So I could see the cars had come on and had driven up by one of the barns and had driven around, and I had lost sight of them. And anyway, she came out. I told her I was I was nervous about whatever is going on here. And not moments later, I'm out of the darkness, emerging like. <laughs> <laughs> like uh, ghosts were these police officers and this is not like Andy Griffith these are guys you know they had automatic rifles they had canine you know search dogs um, they came out and the whole spiel you would expect you know hands up police don't move what a, the whole thing you would expect almost like from a movie and the guns were pointed at me which was the first time that's ever happened to me um, <laughs> I have uh, not very much of a criminal background, and so this was my first time with this kind of, this kind of encounter. Um, so I did what I think was the right thing to do. I put my hands up, I showed them they were empty. I, uh, my girlfriend was on the other side of this wall, so I made sure they knew she was there. Um, they got up to us, and they realized pretty quickly we, they were, we were not the guys they were looking for. <laughs> um, after they had already pointed quite scary guns in our direction. Yeah. Of course, we're not the people you're looking for. We're staying in a hobbit hole here, <laughs> you know, <laughs> we're staying in the Shire. We are certainly not whatever criminals uh, it is that you're, you're searching for. They just didn't say anything, so I was like, after they established we weren't the people they're looking for, I had asked them... Do we Cole want went to on to say that the police were simply looking for a group of men who had fled a bloody accident on Interstate I-24, not far away. And uh, after that, they pretty much packed up their dogs and guns and went on their way. One of them stood, stood around and made sure we were okay and calmed us down, which was very nice of him. Um, but went on their way. So anyway, that was, that was the time we were um, confronted by armed policemen outside of a hobbit house in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. This is Fermented Follies, and today we are eating kielbasa sausage. Cole Porter uh, from Nashville, Tennessee, which is where we are now. Originally from Nashville. Originally, yeah. They call us unicorns. Not many. Yeah. Not many people originally from Nashville. Yeah, a lot of transplants, a lot of new people, and I think a lot of the Nashvilleians went off to do other things elsewhere. But I'm, I'm in my home court, baby. There you go. Staying here. Can you tell me a little bit how the city has changed in the last? <laughs> well, since you can remember it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Other from from Nashville. I did my undergrad college stints in the middle of nowhere, Tennessee, a little place called Swanee. And I studied economics there, discovered that I didn't want to be a professional economics guy. So I started bartending instead. And it's been a very good decision for me so far. And where do you bartend currently? So I'm currently behind the bar at Corsair Artisan Distillery here in Nashville, over in the Marathon Motorworks building. Cool. So yeah. back to growing up in Nashville, what is your biggest tourist pet peeve oh, of man. living here? <laughs> so I guess the one story I always go back to, and, and I don't even know if it's so much of a pet peeve as anything as just is an observation that is kind of funny, but you know, Nashville is known as Country Music USA or Music City, but originally Country Music USA. Yeah. And that's definitely the strongest association, I think, for most people. 
And I actually went to high school, like in the middle. Of, I was went to high school on Broadway. And really? if you don't know, Broadway is where everyone goes to party in Nashville, um, Lower Broadway specifically. I went to school on Upper Broadway, which is literally up a hill from Lower Broadway. What school did you go to? Uh, I went to Hume Fogg Acad- oh, Academic yeah. Magnet School. Okay. That's what it was called, the full full title. It looked like a castle, um, which is cool, um, something I'm definitely into, <laughs> clearly. But um, I also ran cross country. And what we would do often is a lot of our runs from the school would take us through Lower Broadway. And so we yeah. would have to go down through the honky tonks, through the bars, and weave our way through the tourists. That's funny. Yeah, it was. <laughs> and and definitely freaked some people out because, like, we're, especially in the warmer months, like these half naked, skinny ass guys yeah. just like, you know, running through everyone. <laughs> but we would always be able to identify who was a tourist and who was a local purely based on whether they were wearing cowboy boots and a cowboy hat. Yeah. Um, Because that's one of those essential purchases, I guess, if you're visiting Nashville, is you have to get some of those and then go down on Broadway. And I've never understood why those are essential. Because you go to those boot shops and those are not cheap. They're not. No, I've never seen... $150, $200 a pair. I I couldn't imagine... Maybe they're renting them. I, Maybe. And there might be a market I for I don't them, know actually. if there's a rental market for boots. <laughs> if there's not, you know, it, there's a side gig for there us. There you yeah. go. Um, yeah, I, I think that's honest. Again, not a big pet peeve necessarily, but it's one of those things I've always noticed. Um, but beyond that, I mean, these days, it's just whether people are following mass mandates and, yeah. you know, whether just being friendly or not. Uh, a lot of people come here to party and just kind of yeah. like, Treat it like a place to party and trash and then move on. Um, and no, it's I agree. clear difference as to who does that and who does not. But yeah. I guess it's fairly general. So today we are eating, just to visualize in, our, in people's ears, we have a homemade kielbasa sausage that I made. Uh, ground the pork and everything. I'll go through that, obviously, at the end of the episode. Uh, we have the lemon dill sauerkraut that was also featured in the pastrami sandwich from the previous episode. And as well, the lacto-fermented mustard, kind of as, I guess people call them accoutrements. (laughs) (laughs) And then additionally, we have some fig preserve, a shout out to Trader Joe's, the Irish porter soaked cheddar, which is really good. Just try to bite at that. This is... It's um, a little funky, a little bit real earthy, but it's good. And then this, I honestly forget what it's called, but it's like a hybrid cantaloupe honeydew melon. Interesting. Yeah. Canadu. I don't remember what it... It had a name on the <laughs> sticker, but I threw the sticker out. Yeah. Interesting. Days ago. You know, I'll be honest. I'm usually not a fan of cantaloupe or honeydew, so I'm interested. Maybe this, this two negatives will you. make it positive. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's pleasant. No, I definitely still... I, I get... It's in the family for sure. When I bought it, I thought it was cantaloupe. Yeah. And I cut it open and it was green. I'm like, well, that's not uh, this is Something's not right. <laughs> <laughs> pleasant surprise, but I actually like it a lot, so... I think I'd buy another. Yeah, there you go. Whenever you do, let me know what it's called. Yeah, for sure. While we're talking here, we're sipping on the first ever debut batch of Fermented Follies uh, cider. doesn't have a name. I could do a whole episode on how I made this, but basically it's just apple juice or apple cider, whatever you can find, as long as it... It's just pasteurized. Can't have any additives in it. It just has to be pure juice, pitch yeast into it. I don't know the... Yeah. I'm not so familiar on that language. I th- I, as far as I'm aware, I think you said it right. <laughs> yeah. So you pitch the yeast. I used ale yeast just because I heard a lot of people talking about for your first batch of cider, use champagne yeast. And then a lot of people were telling me, no, don't do that. It just mm. turns out gross. So I did do... I did ale yeast and then I 
think it was four gallons of cider, and I used about three pounds of honey in it. So, well, like I mentioned to you earlier, this this I think this is lovely. I could drink a lot of this. I made cider before, and I just used champagne yeast as well. And I definitely fall in the camp of not using champagne yeast yeah. because uh, it gets just way too dry. At least, really, you know, I like dry ciders, yeah. so that's why I was kind of on the fence about it. Mm-hmm. But. I don't know. When I tasted it just still before I bottled, it was really, really sweet still. Yeah. Which I was surprised because it fermented for almost six weeks yeah. total. Was that after you added the honey? or I added the honey at the start. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So I did I did two weeks in the first container, let the yeast settle, and then I did another four weeks in a carboy. Heard. And then bottled from there. Hmm. I was just... I, right. For a first time brew of anything, mm-hmm. I was surprised how sweet it still was after six weeks. Is this your first, like, alcoholic beverage yeah. brewed period? Wow. It is, yeah. Well, well done. I've done some kombucha and mm. uh, some water kefir, but, yeah, first sure. first hard thing. I, I didn't do any kind of brewing or fermentation until I was in college. And specifically, like, around my junior or senior year of undergrad, I decided to try to make some mead. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, I can't remember exactly how I started doing that other than... I was playing Skyrim or something, and I saw mead in the game, and I'm like, that looks like it would be tasty. I've always been curious how you got into mead, because yeah. it's not a drink you can buy. They don't really sell it at liquor stores. They don't. Yeah, if they do, it's very limited and very weird, Yeah, usually. Um, yeah, it's something that I had just either read about or seen, in, like I said, in a video game or something. Whatever it was, I somehow decided I wanted to try to make it. Um, okay. And I had no experience with that. I had no books. I had no references. So I went to the, the highest authority I knew, which was Reddit at the time. Well, there you go. <laughs> and there's actually a mead subreddit. Um, but I went on and just asked, you know, what's a budget-friendly approach to making mead? And I got a bunch of really great advice. And I ended up doing this kind of grocery store budget mead. And essentially, I just go to, to like, wherever you go, Publix, um, Kroger. You get a gallon of distilled water. Yep. You get some honey. You get some fruit if you want it, and then you get some baker's yeast. Um, baker's yeast. <laughs> yeah. And uh, this definitely is not going to produce the nectar of the gods that real mead can be. Yeah. But it does produce something. Oh, you also need to grab some balloons. That's important, too. Um, and you just mix the honey into into the jug of distilled water. You throw in, you pitch in your baker's yeast, yep. and then you poke some holes in a balloon and put the balloon over the top of the jug, and then it acts as a really, really crappy airlock. Because yeah. um, as the balloon <laughs> swells, the holes open up, let the air out, let the CO2 out. So I made that, and it was disgusting. It was, it was, it was so bad. What um, container did you make that in? I made it in in the same plastic jug that the distilled water came in. <laughs> so there's so many things that are just wrong with with that approach. Uh, it was alcoholic though. I mean, like it made a mead. I had put some blackberries in it too, and so it was like a blackberry mead. But you, you couldn't taste the blackberries. Yeah, you just tasted the baker's yeast. <laughs> <laughs> But I eventually invested in some good brewing equipment, like some buckets, some star sand, you know, airlocks, things like that. Yeah. Um, and I decided to make a batch of real, like traditional mead. And I did that in my college bathroom, believe it or not. Um, my senior year, we had an extra closet in our bathroom that had no purpose. Yeah. And so I dedicated that to be my brewing closet. We called it Cole's Closet. <laughs> um, and I made some mead there, um, five gallons of it that I bottled and ended up aging for about a year, a year and a half. I drank the last of it um, a few months ago, sadly. Wow. 
but it ended up being very good. And if there's anyone out there who's interested in making meat or anything like that, time is your friend because that one also was not very good at the beginning, but um, yeah, got better, got better, cool. even though it was made in the bathroom. It's like definitely meat has the least overlap with other related like beverages. Yeah. Of like anything else. Cause like at least with beer, it's grain based and there's a lot of things that are grain based. Yep. You know, wine is fruit based. A lot of things that are fruit based. Mead is honey, honey. you know, <laughs> and while honey can be an adjunct or something and another brews, it's usually yeah. not the thing. After a few splashes of the Fermented Follies Batch 1 Hard Cider, Cole and I decided to dip into a homebrew that he had brought along, a mead. Yeah, so this is called Tej, and Tej is uh, an Ethiopian honey wine, so essentially an Ethiopian mead. And I only know about this because um, one of my best friends, uh, Michael, we're playing D&D with him later. He is from Ethiopia. Uh, he grew up there. And I had asked him once about traditional Ethiopian fermented beverages, yeah. and he talked about Tej, Ethiopian mead. Mm -hmm. And what I did with this is I threw some gesho sticks, which are literally sticks from, I guess, a gesho plant, uh, and they act as kind of a hop for this, like you would find in most you know IPAs and things like that, but very different um, in terms of they're not actually hops, they're sticks. Yeah. But I had that in there with some oranges and just let that ferment, kept all of that in for the primary fermentation. And then when I racked it off, I just let it finish without those in there. And then I uh, carbonated it in the bottle. Cool. And now we have this. What is your favorite go-to cocktail? So right now and as of the last few months, my go-to, at least like if I'm at home or if I'm at a bar myself <laughs> elsewhere, ordering a drink or making myself a drink, I just go to a Negroni usually. Really? Yeah. Negronis are good. Negronis are great. Yeah. I uh, recently figured out it was worth batching some Negroni. I just made a larger quantity and kept it in a wine bottle so I don't have to mix it every single time. Yeah. And um, it was a good move. But yeah, Negronis for me just strike a lovely balance of it's refreshing, but also there's that nice like bitterness from the Campari mm -hmm. and, you know, um, and it's just really nice. It makes me happy. Do you consider yourself more of a light spirit or a dark spirit guy? You know, I say, I think more often than not, I'm a light spirit guy. Yeah. I started as a gin guy before I was anything else, and I think my roots remain well, there you go. in the gin. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what, what about you? Do you have a do you have your favorite I go cocktail? to, honestly, wherever I go, they usually have an old-fashioned I like. Mm -hmm. And I, I'm a huge rye whiskey guy. Nice. I really like rye whiskey. Mm -hmm. Not a huge bourbon guy. Sure. Um, I liked bourbon for a while, but then it almost seems like it's a beginner whiskey. You know, when you start branching into other stuff, it's like, why am I drinking this? Yeah, still? yeah. <laughs> I I have had the same impression, and in fact, because a lot of my the first whiskeys I tried, the, my big introduction to whiskey was at Corsair Distillery where I yeah. work, and we don't make a bourbon, and so bourbon is one of the things I got to later in my whiskey exploration, mm -hmm. and I like it. It's very enjoyable. It's definitely a very easy sipper. Just it's really it easy drinking. Yes, most bourbons are. Which is why it is such like a beginner, yeah. or can be, you know. And not that I consider myself like a high flute. <laughs> I only drink rye. Sure, like, sure. yeah. I don't. If I'm going to the liquor store, I more than often reach for rye yeah. than bourbon. So, I certainly like rye too. And you guys make absinthe. Which we do. Yeah. Not many distilleries really do. No, that's definitely a rare, a rare thing to have. Um, but it's worth having. It lets us make, you know, yeah. a sazerac and, and things like that. And it's red. Yeah, and it's, it's a red, red absinthe. It's red Spanish absinthe. style. Yeah. yeah. 
Everyone expects it to be green, but this one's red. I didn't even know that there were more than one style. <laughs> there was more than yeah. one style until I visited Corsair the first time. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> and it's funny because I really haven't had much other absinthe other than our own. I've mm-hmm. never had green absinthe. I've only had clear or red absinthe. Yeah. Which is weird. But Absinthe has such a stigma. I don't know. People are always like, oh, it causes hallucinations. Yeah. or it, <laughs> I don't think it's caused hallucinations since it was made in 1600. Yeah, like, exactly. <laughs> it's... It, I actually heard an interesting like narrative about why that belief was propagated, and I don't know if this is true or not. So trust but verify. Yeah. But essentially, like you know, in Europe back in the 1600s or whenever it was, wine was the most popular beverage until there was a blight that knocked out all the grapes, <laughs> and so the prices of wine skyrocketed as a result of the you know supply and demand, and so everyone started drinking absinthe instead because it was cheaper. And then by the time the grape harvest normalized and then the wine prices normalized. Um, everyone was already in the habit of drinking absinthe, so the wine industry, all those folks involved in that, basically spread the rumor that absinthe made you see wow. things. And that spread all across the world and resulted in all of the bands that we're aware of now. Um, it's always interesting to me that you can take wine from one place and then like bottle it somewhere or yeah. age it somewhere and then call it that. Like you know, taking it's a crazy. Spanish wine and aging it in France, now you have a French wine. And there's so many different rules with that and a yeah. lot of it's not even regulated. Exactly. So it's just, I don't know. It's, it is bizarre. I mean, I like wine, but I, I don't know. I think people think too hard about it. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> just find something you like to drink and I go agree. for it. I agree. You can always go so deep with all of it, but I, I think you're right. Yeah. If you like it, drink it. <laughs> You're a beer guy. Yeah. Um, I think so. Stella Artois mm-hmm. is like my go to if I'm out and just need, like, I just want a good, like, domestic beer. Something reliable. Yeah. That's yep. that's my go to. Um, but otherwise, I mean, I've definitely gotten familiar with a lot of local craft beer around Nashville. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's great craft beer everywhere you go. I think the best beer I've ever had, though, there's a place in New York City um, where I lived for a period of time, but there's a place called Mineta's Tavern. Really, really fancy, really nice place. I went there with my mother once. Mm-hmm. And we had a beer that was called Hell Beer, like like Hell. I think there was an E at the end of it. Um, but it drank a lot like a wine. It may have been even closer to a barley wine than it was oh, a bad. beer. Um, but it was the most delicious, like smooth, easy, refreshing. All the good things you could mm-hmm. get from a beer was in that bottle. That's awesome. And we could never find it again. Really? In fact, I'm wondering if it's even a fever dream. It never really <laughs> happened, <laughs> but it, it was it was so good. That mustard is potent in, it a, is. in a good way. So the same mustard we had from uh, the pastrami sandwich. Mm. It's kind of like the the leftover of that. I can see how this would be a star on a pastrami sandwich. It's real. It's almost like horseradishy, like I said in that other yeah. episode. It's got that real bite to it. it absolutely does. Yeah. And I think that's probably what I was actually thinking. Is like this is horseradish, although I can yeah put it to words. I don't really know this till after, but mustard heat is all controlled by the temperature of the water when you add it. When you add it to to like, the mustard seed, really? Yeah. So the colder colder the water is, the hotter it's going to be. Huh. Yeah. What is that? Because it retains more of its mustardiness if you do it the really way or couldn't tell you yeah. to be honest <laughs> i have no idea why it does that but so i actually use ice water yeah and i think that's why it that's did. why it's so yeah that makes sense yeah I mean, as far as music goes 
growing up, my dad was really big about sharing the music he liked, and he was a big Beatles fan, you know, um, Simon and Garfunkel, okay. all of those kind of things. And so I grew up listening to a lot of that, and those are still a lot of my go-tos, mm-hmm. my fallbacks. But also, as far as, like, I think it's easiest to describe my music with my favorite artists over time. Okay. And, like, Muse is one of them, which is not cool. really the Beatles at all. No. But, <laughs> but I, I love Muse, but also Cake on one hand, you know. You're a cake guy. I'm a cake I didn't guy. Know that. <laughs> yeah, it's weird. I, I don't listen to them very much these days, but for a while they were my favorite band. Um, but then so was the Avett Brothers. Yeah. And I, so I think more often than not, my kind of central, I, I, I kind of gravitate towards like classic rock, but also like folk Americana, but I also venture out. So if you haven't heard, Cole is somewhat TikTok famous. <laughs> He's close to, last time I checked, close to 100,000 followers on TikTok. Yeah, right around there. And what is the topic of your TikTok? <laughs> so my TikTok is, is, is a very strange one. Um, I never even had a TikTok until I decided to make this one. I'd never even been on TikTok. But I decided to make a Dungeons & Dragons themed TikTok account that was everything about D&D. And I started that back in October. And over time, it's it's evolved a little bit further away from just pure D&D, but it's all definitely within the, the yeah. theme. Um, still, this nerdy, weird stuff like that. But yeah, I, I uh, originally was just talking about D&D magic items, D&D stories, mm-hmm. tips for DMs, things like that. And um, I started doing some other stuff here and there. I, I do a daily video that involves rolling a 100-sided die. <laughs> Um, that has actually been the source of most of my followers, which sounds crazy, but... Go it, check it out. He throws this thing, like, <laughs> hundreds of yards away from himself and <laughs> has to go find it. Yeah, it's uh, it's pretty absurd things I do with it. Um, but I'm doing that until either a 1 or 100 occurs, and it's it's been something people enjoy following for, for whatever reason. It's been fun to do, too. So I do that, and then I, I throw some other things in there as well. Sometimes D&D, sometimes just what other weird ideas come to my to my head cool um but yeah i, I got into dnd uh but only about a year and a half ago i'm actually pretty new to the game all things oh, considered i didn't know that yeah the way that you dm i would <laughs> never have guessed that you've only been doing this for a year oh thank you <laughs> uh it's yeah it's uh something i got like into it's something i'd always been interested in playing never had an opportunity until i was at corsair had some co-workers who invited me to play and i'm still playing with them almost two years later but um, I got into that and kind of fell in love with it. It had a lot of the, the marks that I really, things I enjoy doing. So it's something I got really into for quite a while. And um, yeah, it's it's such a cool thing. If you've never played D&D before, it's worth checking out. I know it seems nerdy and it is. It is nerdy, but it's awesome. It's awesome. It's, yeah. Yeah. It, there's not many other ways to express creativity in that way. Yeah. It's, so. if you're not familiar D&D, yeah, it's it's just like collective storytelling with a bunch of friends. There are some like rules and limitations set in, so there's some actual, you know, yeah, limitation what you can do. If you ever played when you were a kid, like action figures or whatever, and you try to kill your friend's dude, and he's like, no, I have an invisibility shield. And <laughs> then you're just arguing about whether something happened. Like D&D just solves all that for you, for adults. Um, but yeah, it, it is, it's such a fun, like you said, creative outlet. Yeah, 
for me, I really liked that about your campaign because you started us all the way at the bottom, yeah. level one. Because <laughs> I know a lot of DMs will just up people to level three mm -hmm. just to start because that's when you really start to get a lot of add-ons yeah, to your yeah. character. But I think starting at level one, you really learn your character really well. and I think it's more rewarding when you start getting cool stuff, new abilities and mm -hmm. whatever. Because if you start with those things, it's not as cool. But like if you start just as like a normal Joe and then you have to like survive yeah. with your toothpick of a sword or whatever, you know, when you're eventually able to just like slaughter people, it's like, yeah. oh, this is cool. I earned this. That hits hard for me right now because I am in your campaign right now. I'm playing as a monk, which I've never done before. It's a lot harder than I thought it would be. Yeah. Because when you start on level one, you can't do anything. You're mm -hmm. basically dead weight. Yeah, you are. <laughs> Monks are one of those classes that at the beginning, you are literally what you think of a monk. You're just like a dude in a robe. Yeah. You can punch some people. <laughs> that's about it. By the end, you're like a god. You can like fall forever. You can climb walls. You can catch arrows and throw them back at people. You can yeah. do things that are insane. Um, so it's definitely like the curve is different. But um, I think in the end, your character is going to be a boss. Well, I, I'm hoping so. I can't wait to see I it. play a really weird, <laughs> weird character. He doesn't talk a lot. He's a drow. <laughs> yeah, Joey's character is... a real is, big cloak. Yeah. Um, We've been getting glimpses of, of your character, but he is I'm such real, I'm a reticent guy. I'm playing it close guy. to the chest. Yeah, you are. I don't like to give a lot away. Yeah. Uh, I won't say too much more here. We've talked a little bit off off mic about it, but yeah, uh, excited to see where that goes for okay. sure. I, I think the hardest thing about D and D, without a doubt, is not learning the characters. It's not the role playing. It's not the rules. It's finding time to play with other people. The schedules is, are the everyone, hardest part. I feel like everyone in D and D campaigns they usually are very different, do very different things in their life. They definitely do. Yeah, at least in our campaign. Mm -hmm. So. If you had to pick what type of character to play right now, what would it be? Ooh, right now, I would I'd play an artificer. Okay. Which is it's like a, it's like a wizard, but who can? It's like an engineer wizard. They can make little robot guys, and they can enchant things, and they're just like so util utilitarian. But they can also make guns and <laughs> like other weird creations that are just very. You can be very creative with that, and I think it'd just be badass and fun to do. So that's cool. Yeah. Question number two would be any advice for people looking to get into D&D? The hardest thing about playing D&D is you usually need someone who already knows how to play because there's a lot to learn. You need someone to run the game, people to play with. If you don't have that, if you don't have a person you know, welcome to the internet. There are so many people out there who will teach you, who will take you under their wing. You can play games online. It's a great way to learn because there's people who go out there and play games just for new people, and they're usually very happy to take on new people under their wing. So... Look out for that. Try to find people online because there are plenty just like you. Advice for people looking to start DMing. <laughs> so if you're wanting to start DMing, if you've played before, what I would say is start with a simple published campaign, something like The Lost Minds of Fen Delver, which if you've played D&D before, you may have heard of or at least encountered. It's like it's a pre-written campaign that you basically run the players through. You still have to do a lot of heavy lifting on your end, but you don't have to write up lore and character names and design dungeons. It's there for you. Um, it's short, it's sweet, it's easy, and it's a hell of a lot of fun. And so I definitely start with something like that. Just remember that not everyone is a professional D&D podcaster or anything like that. You're not <laughs> going to make, you know, the most cinematically, yeah. you know, it's, it's going to be 
fun. As long as everyone's having fun, that's that's all that matters. Yeah. Set your expectations to that. If you're having fun, you're doing a good job. Yeah. And that's all that really matters. You can find me on TikTok. Uh, my handle is deck of DM things with underscores. So it's deck underscore of underscore DM underscore things. Uh, you can also probably search Cole Porter and you might be able to find me that way as well. Yeah, I'm there and um, I'll actually might be starting to do some streaming soon as well. So cool. I'll uh, you can find links to that from my TikTok as well. Thanks for being on the show today. Joey, thanks for having it. me. This yeah. has been awesome. This has been fun. Yeah. Great talk about all things beer, wine, mead, yeah, sauerkraut. And, and I don't think we talked, I don't think we gave it enough credit, but the sausage you made has been incredible. This is, I've been eating this the whole time. Well, thank you. And highly recommend breaking into Joey's house and taking a sausage. <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. Don't, don't do that. Don't break into my house. <laughs> well, stick around. We'll have the recipe afterwards so you can make your own uh, homemade kielbasa sausage. And thanks for being on here, Cole. Thank you so much. And here's my recipe for homemade kielbasa. Just as a precursor, this is a recipe that requires you to have a few pieces of equipment, that being a meat grinder and some sort of device meant to stuff sausages, whether that's built into your meat grinder or it's a separate sausage stuffer. Either one is fine, but you do really need those. I've seen some people grind meat with food processors and that sounds kind of yucky, so I don't suggest it. But I haven't even tried it, so who knows, could work. There aren't many ingredients in this recipe. It's really just pork in the form of shoulder or Boston butt. Really depends on how your local butcher and grocery shop names it, differs region to region, as well as salt, pepper, and marjoram. And before anyone comes for me, I know there are a lot of ways to make kielbasa, but this is a recipe Joe and I've used before, and it turns out really tasty. By the way, if you do not follow us on Instagram, Joe is my girlfriend and co-fermenter, and she will be joining us on the podcast very soon. To get started, you are going to chop your pork shoulder into grinder-friendly pieces, i.e. less than an inch around cubes. As you are going about this whole process, a major concern is keeping the pork very cold. So if you have to refrigerate cubes as you continue cutting the rest of your pork, do so. It also makes for easier grinding if you let them sit in the freezer while you are chopping. Just don't let them completely solidify. Next, you will send the pork cubes through your meat grinder. If you have multiple grind settings, go for a medium to coarse grind. After all the pork is ground, it's time to season the meat. I'm a big fan of marjoram, so for every pound of meat, I add roughly five tablespoons of marjoram. Pepper to taste. And lastly, this sausage is really easy to over salt. So the easiest way for me to do this is just to add a few tablespoons of salt per pound of meat and cook a small little patty of kielbasa in a skillet just to make sure I like the flavor before I go on to a second grind. At this point, if you've been working the meat with your hands, you'll probably have to let it chill back down in the freezer or fridge before doing the second grind. Our meat grinder is an attachment on a KitchenAid stand mixer, so I stuffed my sausage casings at the same time as I sent the meat through for a second grind. However, if you are stuffing your sausages with a separate stuffer, simply grind the pork again and use the sausage stuffer to finish the job. Lastly, as for sausage casings, please use natural casings. They might be gross at first, but they are way, way better than any synthetic casing you can buy. And the consistency, flavor, texture of your sausage is going to be much better that way. These sausages are great grilled, boiled in beer, put on a bun. 
could do what we did, charcuterie board. Delicious any way you eat it. All around good sausage. Thanks again so much for listening, guys. I hope you enjoyed our interview with Cole, and I hope you try out some sausage making of your own at home. This episode was recorded, mixed, and produced by Checkmate Creative in Nashville, Tennessee. Fermented Follies is a member of the Rock and Jove Podcast Network. Find them on YouTube to check out all their other great shows. The music in this episode features performances by Ashton Rock and Stephen DeRose. Make sure you follow us on Instagram. That is fermented underscore F-O-L-L-I-E-S. Fermented Follies. Fermented Follies.